But hey, folks, and welcome back to the 747 Conversations podcast. It's your host, Chris Shembra, broadcasting live from beautiful and finally sunny, warm New York City in the headquarters here at Alpha with the founder himself, Ness Frome. Alpha is uh, one of the world's best on-demand insights platform helping the world's biggest brands understand their users and understand the products they're building for them in the best way. They're fast growing. They're doing great work. It's an honor to have Ness here. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, the, the, the first question before we go to the normal question is, how do you explain Alpha to a five-year-old kid? So the way I explain Alpha and really kind of anything <laughs> from the business world to a, a, a young kid, I actually have a 12-year-old brother, so I, I often have to do this. Yeah, bookends. And so I put it in his terms. And I think it's probably useful to do that anytime you explain anything to anyone, but especially a little kid, right? So the way I put it is, you know, I say, Aaron, what's a game you recently played or, you know, a food or anything? Was there anything frustrating about it? Was there anything you didn't like? He says, yeah, it was annoying. The game freezes or the game, the button is hidden. I can't figure it out. I said, okay, our company makes it much easier for those games to be better for you, for those Mm. products to be better, to be less irritating, uh, more seamless, more exciting, to know what you want before they make it for you. (laughs) And he said, okay, that that sounds goodness. (laughs) And he's happy I'm doing that. Programmatic, foresight, on demand. It's something the world's never seen. Yeah, yeah. Now he thinks I'm making games for him, so it doesn't <laughs> totally translate, but... Deal. Well, speaking of your brother, the question we always have to start off with is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, or just have never thought to give any credit or thanks to, whether it's someone you've never met before or someone you've known your entire life, who would that be? So I, I love that question, and I, I kind of love thinking about this. So I'm definitely very grateful to my whole family. And I, hopefully I tell them, probably <laughs> not enough, but I, I tell them a decent amount. But I'd say there, there's a group of, of people that I haven't really gotten to express gratitude for that I would really say I, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. And it, it's kind of funny to think about. Like, I've been in tech for, for more than 10 years, and by all means, by everything I ever wanted to do as a kid, I'm doing now. Like, this is my dream. I wanted to be... An entrepreneur, I wanted to work in technology. I was fascinated by the internet from my first exposure to it. So I'm grateful for all this, but like there's something completely non-tech related that I, I don't get to express gratitude for. So the best and most insightful job I ever had, I actually say it was four years in a pizza store while I was in high school, right? And so all, most of the staff were Latin American, Peruvian, Colombian, Mexican, right? And those guys taught me so much that I use every day in life, professionally, and from a creative and innovation perspective. I'll just give kind of three examples of each of those and why I, I mean, my entire life, like I couldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't have that job, right? That $8 an hour job, right? So the first on life is, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, Every day was some frustration in the kitchen. Like my fingertips were burned to a crisp. Like things didn't work. It was chaos. There was dinner rush and all that, right? And they did this crazy thing, which was that they were always smiling. And like, guys, what the hell is going on? Like this sucks right now. The oven is too hot. It's like broken. It's jammed. We can't, you know, there's a 
pizza stuck in the back. There's a fire and they're just happy. And you're, and you're like, guys, wh- what is so good? And they're like, we're just happy to be doing this. They like, one of them once said to me, he's like, dude, I grew up in a really dangerous neighborhood and it wasn't safe. Like no one's going to come in and harm us here. Like, so you burned a finger. And I was, so like appreciation and just going through every day and realizing like people have it way worse. And there are definitely things going on right now that are frustrating and sad. And people do have unfortunate situations. I totally get that. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, the situation we have now than be the wealthiest person in the world in 1970, right? Like basic things we have uh, in this country, just really appreciative. The second example is, is all around work ethic. Like these guys, there was no my job, your job. If you saw a trash was full, you took it out, right? They put in crazy hours, like 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., five days a week, and then, and then you know, half a day on Sunday. Like it was crazy, crazy amount of work. And they, they were always, you know, thoughtful about how they spent their money. They, they, they didn't even like, they could eat anything they wanted in the pizza store. Like, you know, they could, they could take whatever meal they wanted. And they were like, they didn't. They, they like ate responsibly. They didn't just eat everything or the most expensive thing there, right? Like, so everything was just really thoughtful, just amazing work ethic, taught me so much about like, everyone takes out the trash and that's something we've applied here at Alpha. There's no like my job, your job. There's no work that's beneath me. Like everyone gets their hands dirty and it builds character and it's humbling. And uh, so that's the second thing I learned from them. And then the third, which you, you might think is kind of odd, I guess, is customer centricity. But like these guys, it was warfare for them. There was a pizza place that opened across the street. They were the first in there to sample it, to taste it, to, to like, oh, they're doing this kind of interesting French fry slice. Should we try that? Like French fries on pizza, which is apparently not a thing anywhere besides Jersey, I've learned. But growing up in Jersey, like we ate onion rings on pizza, French fries on pizza. And then I come to New York and people think that's strange. But I, I think it's strange not to have French fries on pizza myself. But anyway, they, uh, they were just like, they knew customer names at our shop. They like, they were really customer centric to the point where as a, as someone from the outside or not as familiar, you would think it doesn't make sense. I'll give you just one last example here, right? There, people would always come in and the pizza place I worked in, it wasn't particularly like clean. Like it wasn't, the walls weren't recently painted. It, they were just kind of like old, right? And you're like, guys, it's a big pizza place. You know, why don't you just paint the walls? And the whole staff would just be like, no, because our customers have little kids and they don't want to go to a nice place that their kids are going to screw up. Like, w- that's our clientele. That's our business, right? And, like, eventually they ended up painting the place. And it did. Like, a lot of parents were like, oh, it feels too nice to bring in my little kids. Like, but the staff, like, they knew the, their customer better than some, like, someone coming in. A stranger who comes in once, they're like, that's not our clientele. Our clientele is the people with, like, 40 kids. Hmm. So uh, I just learned a lot about, like, really knowing your customers, even if it doesn't make sense to your non-customers, right? And so those three kind of areas I take with me every day in life, professionally, innovation, and uh, try to apply them as best I can. And, and this, was a, this was a high school job. Was that your first job? What made you want to work at that pizza shop? What made you need a job in the first place? <laughs> need a job because I wanted to buy things. <laughs> so it was probably the summer after my freshman year of high school and you know, too old for camp, not much else to do. And my parents said, well, you've got to get a job. So it just walked up and down the block asking shops for jobs. And I got a job at one bagel place. And then, you know, my dad knew one of the guys involved in the pizza shop. So I ended up getting another job there and ended up going there and worked there every summer for four years. And then Saturday nights throughout high school. 
work there. So it was just, you know, pocket change for the, the year. I was the wealthiest kid in high school with that pizza job. So. The ability for you to realize these three things that you just talked about, risk, responsibility, user centricity. Did you know that back then? What, what kept you coming back? I knew those three things were foreign to me. I don't know if I could have articulated them, but they were foreign. I, don't, I definitely didn't appreciate everything as a kid. I, I think that's probably something a lot of kids struggle with. I grew up in a fairly wealthy town in North Jersey. Grew up, you know, I, was, I never went hungry. I never, like, for the most part, I had everything I needed and could want. I'm sure I, I would have articulated more things, but, you know, generally speaking, I had it all. I don't think I appreciated that. I definitely didn't have a work ethic. I didn't know what it meant to work. I didn't have a good study ethic. And then in terms of like customer centricity, you know, I, I think I got the insight from that job that most people may not get for 10 to 15 years of, of being in business or a few years of owning a business. I think I got that at 15, right? That appreciation for like your customer is not guaranteed. They're not contractually obligated to come to your pizza store. They could go across the street and even more the people across the street could come to you if you do it right. So this concept which plays into what we're doing at Alpha so much as well is like we talk about this term, your future customer, right? Like the world is moving fast. Preferences are changing. Industry is changing, right? You can't just be thinking about the business you had yesterday or even the business you have today, right? You have to be thinking about what's the business you're going to have tomorrow. Who are your future customers, right? And what, what do you have to do to learn and acquire those future customers, right? And that's that I learned then. And I think some of the biggest companies in the world are struggling with that now. You learn risk at such a young age, and you learn the value of work ethic and responsibility at that pizza shop. When you left the pizza shop, when you moved into the next educational institution, when you moved into the corporate world, into the tech world, how did you maintain that perspective? How did you maintain that relationship with risk, that relationship with responsibility? How did you hold yourself accountable for those? It's, it's really difficult. I'll be honest with you. It's so difficult when you begin to have resources and employees and, and other people that you could easily delegate things to, right? And it gets really hard. Getting your hands dirty, like getting in the trenches, taking out the garbage, like we put manually all the furniture here together ourselves. Me and, you know, four or five other, other folks at the, at the company, we put together, you know, 20 tables, 70 chairs, whatever it is, right? And we put that together, and obviously it sucks, but, like, at the end of it, you're like, it's been a while since I did some, like, real work, right? That's what we call it, like, ma you know, manual labor, real work, right? And I guess I try to make sure I continue to do that to some regard. Obviously, sometimes it's, it's meaningful but not worthwhile, you know, like we're, we're actually moving offices in three months. Like, okay, a company of our size, like it, it would not be sensible for us to do that. Like we should hire, you know, uh, either TaskRabbit or, you know, a furniture company to assemble it, right? Not to mention, I think several of us got badly hurt. But, but <laughs> besides that, uh, that's just me having never learned how to put furniture together. <laughs> so the pizza store did not teach me that. You know, m maintaining a close connection with, you know, the labor process, I think, is really important. And what I love about it 
is that you get to see the fruits of your labor immediately, which is something that I think a lot of folks are disconnected to in the digital world, especially like we work on campaigns and they're multi-month and they're, they're so collaborative and cross-functional and that's beautiful. But like, how often do you get to do something end to end in a few, like how often do you get to take dough, take sauce, take in your case, spaghetti, right. And, and make like a dish from scratch and be done and like serve it to a group and to yourself. Like that, that's like that that hit of dopamine that's just, you know, so many people get disconnected from the, the making process that I love that. So that kind of draws me back to it all the time. The, the making process, you know, the risk of trying out a new ingredient in a sauce, the risk of trying out a, a new paint job on the wall. How do you relate that to the risk it took for you to start this company with with your co-founder. Yeah. I think when you realize that there aren't any underlying constant truths, then you realize the greatest risk is standing still. So one of the phrases we say a lot is yesterday's truths are today's assumptions, which are tomorrow's experiments. Right? Like, yeah, if you've got a situation where the world isn't moving and your status quo is working, like power to you by all means, right? Like don't change. But I can't think of an environment, of an industry, of a function, of a role, of a, of a hobby that isn't fluid, isn't in constant flux, and it's changing faster. Pace of change is accelerating, right? And when, when you realize, like, oh, the real risk is being Radio Shack, Kodak, Blockbuster, like, that's the risk. You realize that standing still is, is the risk, and moving is the only possible you know solution right obviously you have to move in the right direction you can't just kind of scatterbrain spaghetti at a wall Uh, (laughs) no no offense but uh but that's um you know when you realize that when you've seen it happen enough times where you know something was taken from you and that, that pizza store i mean they saw it they literally saw like someone opened across the street and had like better ideas for certain aspects and like you know their cust they lost 25 percent or whatever of their customers you know overnight you're like wow, we can't take any of this for granted. Like we need to be moving forward. It's continuous improvement, continuous iteration. And I think we try to frame decisions that way. It's not, you know, we're not leaving our comfort zone. Like our comfort zone is out there. We have to go to that. That's our comfort zone. Our comfort zone is the adventure. Adventurousness is actually one of the values we have as a company. It's something we screen for. It's something we look for. Like who are people where their comfort zone is on the move, where they are uncomfortable standing still? That's what we look for. Hmm. You were very blessed to have had that learning experience for those years in that pizza shop. How do you instill those values, whether it's to a team or to a customer you're talking about, where you're encouraging forward thinking and experimentation and risk, but maybe they haven't been through that same experience like you've had with your bare hands? How do you inspire that? There's, there's no easy answer to that. I think, I'm sure you know that, right? Like behavior change and storytelling are, I mean, those, those are the silver bullets. Unfortunately, they're not, right? They're not, they're not that easy, but, but they, that is how the world runs. Like whoever changes behavior in the most meaningful and high impact way wins. And sometimes that's negative and sometimes it's positive and hopefully, you know, I think we're on the positive side of that. We try our best and the world runs on behavior, right? And so, you know, there, there's always kind of two angles. There's, there's 
aspiration and there's desperation, right? Aspiration, who do you want to be? Desperation, who do you not want to be, right? If someone has had that painful experience of, in our case at, at Alpha, if, if you're an organization that recently went through like a painful product launch or product change, and, and by the way, that's not just the stodgy old companies. That's some of the most innovative, you know, snap spectacles. It was a bust, right? And they're, they're a, a digital DNA, digital, you know, millennial company, right? And even for them, you know, huge publicized failure, right? Once someone's gone through that, you, you can pretty much, you know, kind of reason with them and be like, you don't, you don't want to go through that again, guys. Like, come on, nobody. That was not good for anyone. Right, you don't want a brand on your resume that doesn't exist anymore. No, that's everyone's like worst nightmare. Is like I spent three years on something that doesn't matter, right? And so that's the desperation. It's a little bit of the fear mongering, and it, it's the less exciting aspect of it, but it, it's effective, right? The the more interesting, in my opinion, is is the aspirational, right? Which is, you know, the stories, real maybe or extrapolated or embellished that get at like this is the future reality that we could all participate in that's exciting that's like aspirational right and so amazon provides plenty of good stories there and they're actually in enough industries where there's almost a real story in every industry at this point but you know in every industry what i like to do i've always said i like to find fringe cases edge cases who had less resources less intelligence less time and did something we we couldn't do who had the foresight to do something we only saw in hindsight, right? And that, that's, those are the cases that are even more powerful from an aspirational standpoint. Like at this point, yeah, Amazon, they've got the best people, the most resources, like, okay, th- yes, they're innovative. We all get it. Who's the company we haven't heard of? Some story that's like, that's crazy that they did that. The Wright brothers, right? What are those modern stories of like two brothers without the resources of, of the, the huge organizations doing crazy stuff? Those are like the best stories. Yeah, they were the least funded yeah. inventors of that period, but they knew how to make people believe in what they believe in. How do you get people to believe in what you guys believe in with taking this proactive, on-demand approach, programmatic approach? Yeah, I think that the first step to to kind of building a kind of collaborative understanding and a, and a mission and an adventure that people are on is realizing that not everyone wants to be on it, right? If you build something for everyone, it's meaningless and it's diluted and it's not exciting, right? Like if you think of the companies that have like these dedicated followings, Nike, Nike, Apple, but people hate those brands, right? They hate them. They won't go near them. They won't say them out loud, right? And I think having to come to grips with that reality took me a long time to realize like to make people happy you have to make people unhappy right and you have to you know you have to figure out what's the filtering mechanism and that evolves over time and it's it's additive as well like we talk about culture ad here who next employee has to be has to raise the bar right they can't just hit the bar they got to raise the bar right and so we talk about culture ad, but I come back to the, you know, adventurousness as one of our four values, right? Who is excited to do something that hasn't been done before? Whose comfort zone is outside the status quo, not inside the status quo, right? And those, that's kind of our filtering mechanism. And we have a, a series of questions we ask prospective employees and candidates, you know, 
during the interview process, one, one of my favorite questions is like, what do you want to be doing in five to 10 years? Right? Like not the job, not the title, but like, do you want to be doing your own thing? Do you want to be traveling the world? Do you want to just like, you know, spend more time with your family? Like I don't, whatever it is, there's no right or wrong answer, but like the answer will tell you whether this person is adventurous or not. Like, do they want to go on an adventure? And so that, and a lot of other things like to, to get people to really buy into the vision, you have to realize like who it is that isn't going to buy into the vision. Right. And then once you realize who it is that will, it's again, it's, it's, it's saying the same thing over and over, which I'm sure is something you hear a lot doing these interviews is some of the same messages over and over. It's just re- kind of repetitive exposure is a huge piece of it functionally. But beyond that, it's, it's creating a sense that we're on a mission that other people, they missed it. You know, they didn't, they didn't see the vision you saw, right? You're adventurous. Like you see the future, we, you're living in a future that others don't think is going to happen, right? That's kind of exciting. That's, that's exclusive in a really powerful and an empowering sense. I have a question about that. Going back to the pizza shop. Did your coworkers who were user-centric, they could see that competition was coming, they had the foresight to say, we need to change something or not change other things like the paint. What adventures did they want to go on as people? And do you think they're fulfilling those right now? So 100%. And I think that you just kind of brought it around like to, to the whole point here, which is that they were on their adventure. For me, the pizza store was not an adventure. It was a pizza store I'd been eating at as a kid. It was, it was nothing. It was comfort, comfort zone. Learned a lot there, but it was comfort zone. Right? I never felt out of place there. Right? I grew up in that town. These guys had left their countries, had left their families, often mm-hmm. had spouses and siblings and parents, especially parents, that they left to come here. Like this was their adventure and they smiled every minute of it, right? And I think ultimately that was the, the thing they gave me, like the permission or the tools or the, I don't even, I don't even know, maybe the, the, the reason to, to go on, on an adventure because they had, they had made it from, from a, from my perspective, they hadn't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to do that my whole life, right. Work there. But like to them, that was their adventure and they were appreciative and hardworking and just like, they knew it. They were fulfilling what everyone as, as a kid in where they came from, like would have aspired to do. And that, I guess it gave me the aspiration to do the same. If they could come into these rooms, these walls of Alpha right now and, and teach a class to your people, to your team, what would you have them teach? Oh, first, I would, lo- I would love to, to make pizza. That would, I've been, I've been uh, gluten-free for, for some time here. So the first thing, I, when you started saying that, I was thinking, oh, man, I'd love to have some of the pizza. Those guys knew how to, how to make really good pizza. No, I think... I would love to hear from them about, you know, the, the iteration experimentation, like the same stuff we talk about, there's analogies there, right? Like the things they did over time, you know, it, simple things to like, oh, we can do this to avoid burning our fingertips so much, right? And we can do this to, you know, serve twice as many customers or some queuing system that was like, you know, it was stitched together. It was ad hoc. I'm sure it wouldn't 
be an A plus in a queuing theory class, but like, Hey, <laughs> it, we could all remember it better. They had acronyms for things and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, it is confined to a pizza store and it's not going to be a, a unicorn and it's not going to reinvent pizza. They weren't, you know, that wasn't the goal there. So, you know, the constraints were different. The circumstances were different, but oh, so many lessons to learn. Those guys, like there was no value in the status quo. Like I said, they, they left the status quo years before. They were thousands of miles from their status quo. Like it's all gravy at this point for them. Like it's all, you know, just hey, if we've made it this far, what's, what's the next step? Like, you know, in a pizza story, there's no rules, right? And so as our organization grows, we're, we're about 75 people now. Like there are rules, there are processes, right? But there, there's so many areas where there aren't. And I would love, you know, for, for everyone here to, to get that as a takeaway from them that like, you know, play with a little chutzpah, play, uh, you know, uh, without rules sometimes because uh, good things happen when you, when you get messy. If they were in this room right now, sitting across this table from you, like, like we are right now, what would you say to them? I guess I wouldn't, I would, I would have a hard time, I guess, saying thank you. Cause you have, you have this point is like, well, why now? You know, like what, where, where have I been for the last whatever, 10 years? Right. And so I'm sometimes I don't go back because I feel bad that I haven't been back. So that's, that's sometimes it's like a, a self reinforcing, you know, problem of sorts, right? What I'd say to them is I think I'd bring it back to like, I'd put it in their terms, like the journey they went on. Like I feel very much, yeah, I'm only 10 miles away from where I grew up, but you know, it's still to me, if like leaving my comfort zone, doing a lot of things that I I dreamed of doing when I was younger, but I couldn't have imagined I'd actually get to do, right? There's a parallel to them. And I would say, you know, that they kind of inspired me and in, in they didn't know they were doing that, which is probably, the, that would probably blow their minds to think that, that that's what ended up happening, but that's what I would tell them. Do you remember any of their names? Yeah. First names? Yeah, all of them. Orlando is the, is the best of the pizza guy. And uh, I don't know how many of them are, are still there, yeah. but uh, that would be the other crushing reality if I go back. <laughs> you sound like amazing men. Yeah. I, I, you know what's weird, though? Amazing impact on me, but I guess I didn't know that much about them outside of that, right? Like, we worked together. We were, like, probably a bad comparison, but, like, in, a, in an army troop together, like, in the trenches, but, like, I never really asked them that many questions. They didn't ask me that many questions. Like I knew where they came from. I knew they were happy. I knew they worked hard. I knew things they did at the job, but I didn't, I didn't know them. And so I guess missed opportunity of being a, a 14 year old and not really being aware of anything outside my own world. But, but that's kind of crazy that the people that had the greatest impact on me, I know probably very little about. I would argue that with your ability to um, to piece different learning lessons in your life together, you've probably painted a, a picture of them greater than any picture they could ever paint of themselves. Because it takes someone who's removed from the situation to look back objectively and uh, be able to see the full picture. You've just told me things that they've probably never known about themselves. What they did, what systems they used. 
their foresight. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That's a, that's a next level. <laughs> Any last words in closing? I, I would encourage everyone to reflect on, you know, obviously gratitude. I think it's such a great question. Like when we met Chris, I was just like blown away looking at the pasta sauce. I was like, but it's, it's not great. I think people, people are good at gratitude, but generally speaking, but there's always a gap. And I think that's what, what your, your perspective, the nuance there, it's like, who, what are you grateful for? Who are you grateful toward that you don't get to express it to? And that, that's the blind spot, right? That's the unlocks the, is there something I've been able to accomplish or is my life in some meaningfully better way because of someone I haven't thanked? And if so, that's a, that's a pretty powerful intersection. That's saying, I climbed a ladder and then didn't thank the ladder, right? And so uh, that, that question like inherently gets at something powerful and I, and I love that. So I, I really encourage everyone to ask themselves that question and not just think of who you're grateful toward, but like think about why, right? Why and how you carry that with you and how you can continue to appreciate that because that's probably, you know, thanking someone is nice, but like continuously reflecting and being thankful for what they did for you is probably even better. Thank you for that. Awesome. And to all our listeners, I would just double down on what Nis was talking about. And, and what I'd encourage you all to do is to not run through life blind, but to pause and take reflection on what's around you right now and what you're involved in. Because the funniest things are, you'll probably look back 20 years from now and say, that moment in time was one of the most influential impacts on my life. I wish I could go back and tell them then. And folks, Nis has, has built quite a beautiful company, him and Thor, and everybody here at Alpha. And he's telling you that some of the most influential moments that have impacted his leadership style, the company's architecture, come from his simple childhood job. And so don't overlook that. Don't overlook those people that are in those. They all have a story. And their story is filled with as many learning lessons of risk, responsibility, and user centricity that will help you build multi-million dollar companies today. It's a pretty neat thing. So Ness, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I, I love this. I hope y'all are. Uh, I hope y'all have enjoyed this this episode. Please uh, go check out what what Alpha is about uh, in the link in the bio below. Um, the biggest brands in the world rely on them for their on demand user insights, and so should you. Hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on Earth. Remember, folks, it's your world. Go explore, and we'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.